Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, it's Bob again. I've got Light a Fire Under Your Business, How to Build a Class One Corporate Culture Through Inspirational Leadership. I've got Tom Pandola, and uh, he's online today, and uh, he had a co-writer, James Bird, and we'll be chatting a little bit about James in a bit. But uh, Tom, I wanted to ask you, why did you, uh, why did you decide to write this book with, uh, with James? Well, Bob, it was something that kind of happened by mistake. So both of us spent, you know, 25 years. Uh, I was on the fire department in Los Angeles, and so was Jim. I think he spent 24 years. And we worked together at some point. And, um, you know, once we once we moved on from the firefighting career, we, we both went out and went into business. And we actually, I would say we left the firefighting a little earlier than most uh, people do, at least down in, in Los Angeles. People would work 30, 35, 40 years sometimes. And we did the 25 years and went off and did other things. And so, um, unlike many firefighters who once they retire, they're pretty much done and they're all worn out and they, they go fishing or golfing, we, uh, we, went, we went back to work. And we found ourselves in, in leadership positions in very different industries. And then one day, just by happenstance, we, we were talking to each other and, and we started discussing the fact that some of the things that we did in business, our supervisors would be asking us, what are we doing differently? Why are, why are we successful and other people have those positions and they weren't quite as successful? And we decided that it was because we, we were just doing what was ingrained in us from our 25 years of firefighting and, and it's certain principles and the culture of the fire service and how the fire service is successful and how they do the things that they do. And so at that point, we realized, you know, there's something here. So we got together. We actually spent a number of years really parsing out what what we did in business and what we were doing in the fire service and we adapted the principles that we we discussed and and we decided you know we're going to write a book about this because we actually believe that it it's something that can help help other people be more successful at whatever they're doing and interestingly enough you know he was in the fortune 500 I worked in a couple different businesses. Uh, what I do right now is I'm the director of communications for an air ambulance company. And, and it doesn't matter you know, really what you do or what your industry is. It's just that the principles that, that motivate people and inspire people to do certain things and things that leadership can do to make sure that people are doing the things that they need them to do so that you're moving in the right direction as an organization they, they, they're all the same. You know, they're really not all that much different. So it's really the difference between firefighting and business, to me, is just a matter of perspective and work environment. But the people are the same in many, many ways, so the same principles apply. And that's, that's how the whole notion of the book came up. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, many, many times I'll be chatting with people and they say, oh, I just don't have any time. And I said, well, yeah, because you're putting out little bushfires and you're not planning for yeah. for the future. And, you know, it, it's such a great metaphor to talk about a lot of the things that happen in business. I mean, going through the book, uh, you've got great titles, uh, chapter titles like CPR and, and – uh, CPR for business success. That's hilarious. But, you know, you look at a company and you say, geez, you know, you're, you're dying here. You need to be t- taking a look at this a little bit differently. Do you feel that uh, because of your training um, and it's, it's very serious training because it's a life and death situation that you look at business in, as a slightly more serious thing because a business can die? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot to be said there. I think the the biggest thing is, you know, so I, we always talk about our, our mission for writing the book was to inspire success. That's simple. And to me, I think businesses die sometimes because people forget that what they do is important and why doing it to the best of their ability always matters to someone. And, you know, they can really focus on how to do things a certain way. But, you know, one of the things we pointed out in the, in the introduction, if you think about 
the financial meltdown and auto recalls and just levels of government that just seemed like they were asleep at the switch. And you think about, you know, what could have prevented all that from happening? And in, in firefighting, the, the key is situational awareness. Like you said, it's very dangerous work, but in reality, if you're, if you're aware of the situation and, and whatever you're doing and you, and you are ready to respond appropriately, then you're not going to, in firefighting, you're not going to get killed and you're going to actually be more successful at saving people's lives and their property. In business, the same thing is true. Uh, situational awareness is everything, and some of the things we put in the book is how can the leadership of an organization develop the culture that stays even once maybe some of those leaders leave, and the culture itself will, will go on, and it's a culture that has to be dedicated to wanting to be the best. And when new people come in, they get wrapped up in that same culture. But you can't just go out and tell people, okay, everybody, I need you to all be more accountable and productive and think that your job's done. You have to do certain things. And we, we lay out a whole bunch of principles that you can, you can follow in the book. They're all simple. They're basic, common-sense type things, but they're just not commonly applied. And so I think, seriously, in business, you know, every, you know people, people own businesses, that's a huge thing to that individual who owns that business or to the shareholders or the employees. It, it's what makes the world go round. And if we don't look at it more in a life or death scenario or thinking, then you know, I think that that's where some of the problems come from. But again, we get down to the very basics of, of what it is to be, you know, anyone working in any business. And, and to me, we're all ordinary people, but we're called upon to do extraordinary things. And when leadership can inspire people to rise to the extraordinary when it's necessary, then you've got an organization that is moving in the right direction all the time, even when the leaders aren't looking. And to me, that's the key is, is have you trained your people? Have you inspired them to do things a certain way? And when you're at home in bed or you're on vacation, are they still working the same way you want them to and need them to? And those are the type of things that we talk about in the book. I work in many, many different situations, and I think that is so important is to have a switched-on uh, team. And the only way you can switch them on, you can't go in there and demand them to be switched on. You have to actually show them, and they have to own the switch, uh, for, yeah. for better use of the word. And and when they drive into the parking lot and how they park and the, they get out of the car and how they greet people when they walk into the building, that is so fundamental to the overall attitude to an the whole organization, and and I think that's the problem a lot of um, larger, even small companies have, is that they're not uh, addressing those issues. Why isn't this person happy, and how can we make that person happy instead of, um, oh, we've got to become more efficient, or we've got to cut costs here. They're going about it all backwards. Right. Yes. Um, one of the things that seems really basic but think about an organization's mission, vision, and values. And I think a lot of organizations look at these things as outward looking. In other words, they throw them out there like almost like a tagline for their customers to have this feel good thing about their brand or their company or whatever. When in reality, those are things that are, are, should always be focused inwardly into the company. I'll give you an example. In the fire service, the mission is save lives and protect property. Pretty basic, pretty simple, and every firefighter thinks about that when they go about doing their job or preparing to do their job. Because if they're not doing something that's going to make them more capable of saving somebody's life or saving their property, they're doing something wrong. The other thing is it, it's clear and concise. It's in priority order. It's lives first and then property. It doesn't matter what's, what's endangering the life. It could be, you know, fires, floods, riots, earthquakes, killer bees. It doesn't matter what it is, but the mission is, <clears throat> excuse me, the mission is so, so basic that people actually use it. Now, I've worked in business where I asked at a, at a management meeting one day, what, is our, what does our mission say about that? And these are all the top-level managers in this company, and nobody knew what the mission statement was. So to me, those are just words on paper. 
I like a mission that lives in people's thinking and their actions. And then to have a vision that comes from the very top of the organization, the leadership, the board of directors, whoever, and that tells people where we're headed. And every individual in that company should know that vision so that they know how they're going to contribute to making their little part of that vision a reality. And then the other piece is the values. And I believe that values are important for each department within an organization to have their own values because like the company I work for now, we have helicopter pilots, we have nurses, we have administrative people, we have mechanics, we have all sorts of different departments that do different things. And what, what drives them to do the best job they can and to be successful, those values are very different from each other. So I think value should be more of an individual department. And let, let your people actually take a part in creating those values. Ask them, when you're at work doing the best job you think you can do, what values, what principles are you following in the, individually to do that? And then you, you work together and you create this list of values. Now we have something to hold each other accountable for. And that develops that peer-to-peer -peer accountability, not just the, the manager you know, telling everybody, come on, let's go. Because like you mentioned, you can't demand success. And people who try and uh, lead by demanding or lead on demand, it doesn't work. You really have to change people's thinking about what they do and why they do it. And I think that the mission, vision, values piece is so important, and it has to be driven by all levels of leadership to make sure that people believe it and they're, and they're going to live it, and that's how they're basing their decisions. And now you've got an organization that is actually accomplishing the things that the leadership has decided they need to accomplish. Yeah, it's interesting working with a, some, a pretty dynamic group of people recently. And uh, it's fascinating because it's, it's a, a team of 200 people that are going from situation to situation all over the world. And there's radical uh, different ways that they manage. And uh, for me, dealing with some of these people that don't really get what management is and how to manage different individuals. Um, it, it's, it's a little frustrating at times. Uh, but really, I think the key to great management is understanding that every person that's in a room is an individual and has a, a different priority. They all prepare slightly differently. And how you communicate that they're doing a good job or uh, ask them to review what they're preparing is really difficult. And I'm wondering, you know, when you were in the in the fire department, is everybody so focused on, I'm here as a, a person that's uh, looking out for people, saving property and saving lives. You know, when you're in a life and death situation, you're kind of depending on the guy in front of you or behind you or in the truck to be doing his job perfectly. But when you're not in that situation and you're kind of chumming around and doing the day-to-day the -day schlocky stuff, did you notice that as well, where the, there were the individuals that work better if you didn't manage them and some people that work better when you micromanage them because they needed that hand-holding? You know what? Great, great question. Um, uh, I have a couple of things bounce around my head. So I'll, I'll say this, that firefighters are ordinary people, just like everybody else. And there's definitely extraordinary people out there, but they're far and few between. So every organization has all these ordinary people, just like the fire service. And, and the firefighters, they have a certain expectation of what their job is. And the way they, they're trained from day one, they, they, they understand by the time they get out of fire academy, these men and women know how important their work is that, you know, um, it really, it really necessitates them being the best that they can be. However, if we don't have the right leadership in place, especially that first level leadership, the lieutenants and the captains on the, in charge of the fire companies, if we don't have that, that right leadership right there, that first level, we could have a lot of firefighters start slipping back into complacency and things like that. So it's, it, all these things are an ongoing process, and you really do need to have that the leadership to inspire people and explain to them, and you had mentioned earlier, why is this important to do it this way? And I used to have a conversation with all the firefighters that worked for me when I was a captain, and I would tell them, I, my, my task is to never endanger your life or mine, but there could come a time where I will put you and me in, in more danger than normal 
if I think that we can save somebody's life by doing that, and if I ever make that decision, you know, come with me because I'm, I'm thinking about all the what-ifs and the different things that are going on, but it might seem to some individuals as this might be kind of a crazy mission. But in, in fact, um, I never actually had to put people in what I would call imminent danger. Now, firefighting itself is a, is a dangerous uh, uh, career, and, and on any given day, a firefighter faces all sorts of different dangers, and some of it is as simple as you know, stopping traffic while they back the fire truck into the fire station because they do it every day. They're out in traffic. They're stopping cars, and we've had firefighters hit by vehicles. I mean, it, it can, it's, a, it's just a dangerous thing. But... The bottom line is if people are motivated and they understand the situational awareness and they understand what's important to keep them safe, and then when the alarm goes off and we go out and we, we're answering the call for help and we've been trained and we continue to train and we, we're at our best, our best is what we want to deliver as long as we understand why. And I think that without leadership, even firefighters are going to be able to fall into that 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 complacency mode that a lot of people in business will fall into and they don't really bring their best to work. But when leadership reminds people, you know, that what they do is important and why doing it to their best of their ability always matters to someone and what they help identify who is that someone who's benefiting when you do your best and who gets hurt if you don't do your best. That becomes a situation where each individual now they want to make they want to make a difference. They 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 whether whether I'm looking or not. There's been times when when I was a battalion chief, I I would hear about some of the things that firefighters did inside a burning building. I'm sitting outside in the command post, and later on in reviewing the 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 emergency, I was just absolutely blown away by some of the things these these firefighters did when no one was looking, but it was the right thing to do, and they knew the right thing to do because. They knew the definition of success before they ever went into that burning building. So those are the type of things that leaders can do in business by helping define what success is for each individual and, and make sure that people don't become complacent. And it's just an ongoing effort, but with the right leadership, and I like to call it inspirational leadership, people will be better than they even think they can be because they believe in themselves. And I experienced this early on when I was a young man on the fire department, I had captains encourage me and, and, and say the right things to me to make me want to get better and better and better. So, so I think it's really a matter of bringing uh, inspirational leadership together with organizational culture, and the two of those things are kind of symbiotic. They, they can't really exist without one another. And, and once they come together you know, and you develop that culture, your, your leaders really have a big part in that. And, and again, the beauty of once you develop that culture is once individuals leave your organization, a new person comes in, that person becomes part of that culture. And, and it could be a bad, negative culture, and you don't want that, obviously. We want to develop that positive, let's go get them, you know, let's, let's make things happen culture. And that can happen too. But it, just, it just takes some very common sense things and uh, a certain attitude with the leaders and if, when you lead by example, your example is what you're going to see with the people that work for you. Yeah, it's interesting because um, in the book you've got this line uh, that I love, uh, discovering best practices. And you kind of stop and think about that, discovering best practices. And that's the opposite of the, what people perceive best practices are. Best practices is something that is written down that you have to learn and then there's a procedure behind it. But because in your training in the fire department and then taking that on board to organizations, um, you're probably running the department as a perpetual boot camp for, for better use of a word where people are constantly being trained small increments at a time indefinitely instead of, Oh, here's your three day seminar. And then there's no follow up, and it that kind of falls by the, the wayside. So I wanted to ask you with discovering best practices, is that something that is evolving all the time and you're expecting input from junior managers all the way down to people that drive the truck? Absolutely. 
That's, that's a great point. So we call it creating continuous incremental improvement. And, and I'll talk about firefighting first, and I'll talk about how I do this in business. So when I was a battalion chief, after every, every fire we had, uh, once the fire has been knocked down, I bring all the captains, all the, you know, all the leadership together, and people are picking up hose and things. So we'll have a little brief discussion about what happened at the fire, what went right, and why. What didn't go so well, what went wrong maybe, and why. And, and basically we go around the, around the group and everybody talks about you know, what they did, what their assignment was, and this, that, and the other. And typically when problems are identified, it's usually an individual firefighter, maybe a rookie that needs a little more work on laddering a building or something like that. Um, maybe it's a whole company that needs a little more uh, training on, on something, some evolution that they did. But typically the first level leaders can take care of any improvement that needs to be made. And so that's kind of like a call to action. We identify there's an issue, someone's going to fix it, and we move on. But every once in a while, uh, you, this is even a way that you deal with risk management. I would, I would find out about something that somebody did that was against our policy and maybe was a, a dangerous situation, and there were no lives at stake other than maybe the firefighters that were involved, and it just didn't warrant taking that kind of risk. And I, I, was a, I was able to do risk management on the spot by telling the group, you know, in the future we, we're not going to do it like that. And maybe even do some follow-up training with all the captains in my battalion based on something that I learned that took place. And so when everybody in our organization is doing this, every time you complete something, you review it. And, and this is meant to be a brief review so that people look forward to doing it you're going to just continuously get better and better. Now, in business, this is what I do. I have a, a weekly management meeting with all the people who report to me in management positions, and we discuss the week that was. You know, so we discussed last week what went well, why. And it, that's an important piece right there. It's not so, so much to just say, okay, we did a great job on this, this, and this. I want also everybody to know why did we do a great job? What did we do that was so, so right that made that go so well? And so everybody's learning from the successes too. A lot of times we succeed and we don't even review it because why, we, we, uh, why would we debrief something that went well? Well, we do that because we, all, we want everybody to get better and learn from each other's successes. Then we also look at the things that didn't go so well and why, and we try to improve upon those. But sometimes those successes that we talk about are actually best practices that we need to share with the entire organization. And, and there, are, there are so many things in my firefighting career that could have ended up in disaster had we not had something in our culture that said, you review things, and when you discover something that's wrong, there's, there's a process to report that through the channels to, get, to make changes, to get things, get things uh, improved upon, whether it's a training program or a policy change or, you know, a piece of equipment that's been failing, and now we've got to look into the, why is this piece of equipment failing when we need it, that type of thing. And, and I've got lots of stories that I remember from my firefighting career, but also in business, um, I have been able to make sure that the people who work in my department are always improving, always getting better. And, and it, it's, you, you can actually see it. You can feel it. You can see the attitudes are different. Uh, they're, they're more willing to accept responsibility for mistakes because I don't mind when people make mistakes because if we can learn from it and we share it with everybody, if one person did it, I can guarantee you other people would do the same thing eventually. So now we start preventing mistakes from happening in the future by doing these routine reviews of what we've accomplished. And again, people take ownership for things. And the only time I have a problem with people who make mistakes or when people choose not to follow a certain policy or process, then it becomes a people issue. You know, it's an individual who's got an attitude that they're not going to follow. And then we, we go down that road and we try to fix that. But I always look at things like if it's, if it's not the process that's the problem, then it might be the people who are choosing not to follow the process. And, and, and then once you have the right process in place and you've empowered your people to feel like they, they can do things and that they will do things a certain way, 
now you've you've essentially transformed your culture to be the one that you really need out there doing their job. Um, I would say that everybody's probably been to a great, you know, restaurant. Let's say that people just seem like they're they're on it, they're on board, they have a certain attitude, personality. Um, they they're doing things a certain way, and you can tell you can tell that there's somebody there's leadership taking place possibly behind the scenes, and what you experience as a customer is good food, good service, a good time. And when that is done, you know there's good leadership behind it. And so these are the type of things that we, we talk about in the, uh, in the book. And to make your point, it's all about having continuous incremental improvement. And I think also that if you have this culture of, of continual improvement, it kind of, when you start with the organization, that's the first thing you start to notice. Like, wow, the guy I'm working with just discovered a better way to do something, and that that's what we're doing. I'm empowered to improve this organization. So then you have ownership to the process instead of something that is like, oh, you got to do it this way, even if it's stupid. Yes, yes, no, good point. That's exactly it. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, near the end of the book, part three, you've got the two most important questions for project managers, and I just have to ask you, what are those two questions? Well, as a battalion chief, when I would roll up on a big fire, and there's just a lot of things going on, and you got to figure out, man, how am I going to handle this project of firefighting, right? And the first thing I need to know is, what is the situation? And the next thing I need to know is what resources are available to me and what resources will be available to me. Because any plan I create to handle all the things in the situation that I come upon aren't going to do me any good if I don't know what resources I have. Because maybe the, the best thing to do is do nothing because I, I don't have the resources to, to follow a certain plan. So I need to know situational awareness and I need to know resource availability. And in, in, in project management, that chapter is not really a uh, – it doesn't delve into project management so much as far as some of the uh, detail that project managers will do because that's a science onto itself. But we suggest a couple things that could be improved upon because if you think about firefighters going out and taking on, like I say, the project of firefighting, every fire eventually is extinguished. So we, we always complete our projects. There's no such thing as a, as a fire department project, emergency project, not coming to fruition. And so the spirit at which firefighters face their projects of firefighting or other rescue situations is commendable. And so there are certain things that we suggest people do in business that, that make uh, project management much easier. So number one, you know, I think that the project manager isn't just a manager. They also need to have good leadership skills if they're going to um, inspire people to meet deadlines and get things done. You know, they're not just checking boxes. They really need to be a leader. And, and knowing the situation and knowing that the situation is going to change depending on what's going on. So we talk about being situationally aware at all times, always having a good eye on your resources, knowing the resources you have and the ones that you don't have where you might have to contract out with another vendor or a different company to do certain things for you. Um, it's, it's about having better communications. We talk about this thing called PPN, which is position progress needs. So if I'm a battalion chief, I'm, I'm at the command post, and I've got, let's say, 30 different fire companies, and they're all trying to report in and tell me what they're doing, I need to know basic information. And if I need to know more, I can ask them. So they're going to call me and tell me their position, their progress, and whatever needs they may have. If they have no needs, I don't have to worry about them because there's going to be plenty of people at that fire that are going to need additional assistance and things like that. So can you imagine if you're, if you're managing a number of projects and you had some, let's say, phone conference and these people are all around the world, let's say, and you've got one of these uh, project managers who, again, is I, I knew a friend of mine, he had 16 different projects he was managing. And he'd be on the phone constantly with different different update meetings. 
and he would just be pulling his hair out about people wouldn't get to the point, and he, you know, he was limited on time, and he needed to really make sure he got the information in a succinct way. So I told him, I go, why don't you try what I did on the fire department? I said, you know, ask them what their position is. In other words, what piece of the project are you doing? What progress have you made? You know, you've got 10 items. You've done one, two, three, and seven, let's say. And what needs do you have? Oh, I need help on these other ones because people aren't getting back to me or whatever. And now as a project manager, you can actually help that individual and help facilitate getting some of those things done because you now know quickly what their needs are. Uh, another one is a, this would help with a project management, would be what we call a rapid intervention team. So in firefighting uh, in the United States, uh, there's a, a system where you know, we learn from doing these reviews of, of fires, reviewing everything that we accomplished. We learned that when a firefighter needs to be rescued him or herself, it's very difficult to take people who are already engaged in firefighting and, and suddenly put them into a rescue mode to go find somebody, let's say, who fell through a roof of a burning building. So now, whenever there's a working fire, there's firefighters in danger, there is a group of firefighters that are, are standing by at the ready, and they're known as a rapid intervention team. So think about in business. If, if you have experts in your company that you know, you know from their experience, education, their background, that they're the best at certain things, they know that they're the rapid intervention team. It might just be a one-person thing, but someone's doing a project, they need assistance, let's say, in IT. They know they can call this person in IT because that's the rapid inter intervention team. And not that that person is going to do the work for them, but they can ask them for advice and input because they've run into a problem. And when, when we identify the experts in our organizations to be that rapid intervention person, we can, we can save projects from failure before, they, before it's too late to turn them around. So... Rapid intervention team in firefighting is all about saving the firefighter who now needs help himself. Rapid intervention teams in business are all about identifying the people who are, at, who are the best at certain things. They know that they're on that list of people that, that people will call for help. And again, they're just there to share some of their expertise so that everyone in the organization can benefit from that and get those projects accomplished you know, hopefully on time and on or under the budget. And so that's, that's what that, that whole project management um, chapter was about. Yeah, you know, that, that's fascinating because if you call somebody that's the de facto go-to expert in an organization and, and they know that they have to answer the phone, <laughs> um, really what you're requ requesting is hindsight which is kind of a weird thing to say, but that's the secret to hindsight is people that have done it before, um, it's much easier for them to look back at your problem as something that's happened in their past and say, oh yeah, just do this. Whereas you're totally unaware that that's an option or it may be an option, but it's buried under 15 other things that you realize are, are redundant actions. Right. You know, think about it too. This is a key to teamwork and team building. It's, you know, a lot of people are afraid to ask for help because it makes they feel like this makes me look like I don't know my job or I, I'm somehow, you know, not the best person to be in the position I'm in or something. And I think if an organization thinks more globally of the organization and that, again, this takes inspirational leadership to make this happen, hey, we're a big team. We're going we're gonna to succeed together or we're going to fail together. And so, so when uh, we identify the things that, that people are the best at within our organization, we need to make it okay to say, hey, I need some assistance here. Again, not to take a lot of their time, but just to say, I'm doing this. Can you help me? I don't know which, should I go this way or that way? You know, what, what have you done in the past? And, and so you bring up a really good point. It is about, you know, really capitalizing on, on your human resources that I think a lot of companies and organizations don't even appreciate some of the value that they have within their ranks because they don't dip down far enough. Sometimes, for instance, years ago on the fire department, it turned out that the, the LAFD was doing some, some specific training for preparing for the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles and how we were going to handle those, 
uh, responses and things with all these extra people showing up into the city. And it turned out that I was the only one on the fire department that actually had trained in the, the certain thing when I was in the Army. And I was, a, I was a firefighter at the time. And so all of a sudden I found myself being responsible for training all these people in a certain certain thing that I was training battalion chiefs and captains and, and other firefighters. So, you know, the bottom line is when we really take take a good hard look at what do we have out there in our organization, how can that knowledge help other people, and we develop the whole the whole notion of the rapid intervention team, that that's how people are going to be able to work more as a team and to be focused on success. Let's talk about fear because it, it, we kind of uh, brushed by it uh, moments ago. And one of the things that as a, a uh, leader in, in, in a fire department is there is such a thing as fear. And I know everybody goes in there and they're, they're gung-ho and everything, but you have to respect the fear and respect the situation. In business, I find that fear of failure fear of not being appreciated, fear of, like you're saying, uh, asking for help because you think you're going to get fired or people will think you're not up to the job. How um, how have you taken your uh, learning and, and background in the fire department and transferring the, that to the, um, the business scenario? Well, firefighters are, you know, a lot of people think of them as, you know, brave and heroic, but in reality, they were all brand new firefighters at some point when they walked into the fire academy the first day. And because ordinary people have fears of things like fires and, and heights and, um, you know, getting, you know, injured or, you know, pain. And also they have a fear of failing. And so the, the fire service overcomes that through, again, inspirational leadership, which happens to be trusted leadership so that, I call this having a, a culture of, of trust, encouragement, and opportunity. So if our leaders bring in the people who report to them, work for them, and number one, they can earn that trust because they do what they say, and they say what, what they do, that, that, that type of thing. And over time, that trust is going to be there. And then they give their people the encouragement to try new things, even when they're maybe a little fearful because fearful they've never done something before. For instance, let's say you have a brand new person in your company and, and they're right out of college and they need to go make a, a, a presentation to a group of people, a sales call or whatever, and they're not a very good public speaker. They're, 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 you know, a lot of people fear public speaking. So, so the leader should identify those things and say, okay, so I'm gonna give you the encouragement and let's practice it, or maybe go out and get some training in that, and then give them the opportunity to go out and try new things. Because, you know, we talk about in the book uh, comfort zones, and comfort zones to me is, is where everyone in, in our own mind believes uh, where we live, where we, you know, how we operate, how we function, the things we've done, that's in our comfort zone. When we're asked to go outside of our comfort zone, people get pretty anxious and uptight, and they're not going to do their best unless they have that encouragement to, hey, it's okay to make mistakes, but you got to get out there and try it. you got to go do it. We'll get you some training if you need it. And then you give them the opportunity, and people who, who have a culture like that where they're not fearful of their, losing their job because they, lo- they made a mistake, they're going to get better and better. I've never seen anybody who was under the gun that you make a mistake, you're gone, you lose your job. No one in that environment will ever, you know, rise to the occasion and, and be able to do what they need to do because they're thinking about what am I going to do when I lose my job? They're not thinking about their job. So, again, it takes leadership to, to identify, you know, the trusting things, trust or respect within uh, their, their sphere of influence, and now they encourage people and then they give them the opportunity to go out and prove themselves. And I think that that's, that's how you deal, deal, deal with fear uh, as far as fear of failure, things like that. Now, I, I want to dig in a little bit about, uh, you know, how to read this book because, you know, it is a system you're talking about and the book is chock full of amazing, exciting stories. Um, is it a type of book that you should kind of read from cover to cover or can you just jump into like section two? 
Um, I think each chapter was kind of written to stand on its own, but I think in reality the way the book was set up was to start from the very beginning at the at the forward even, preface, introduction, and then through the different chapters. And the reason why is because um, the things like the forward, preface, and, and introduction really sets up what the book's all about. And I had, a, I had somebody just tell me that they were reading it, and the very first paragraph, they thought, wow, the way it was set up because it was a real-life story, right? And each story in the book is, is, was, was selected specifically because it, it lent itself to explaining certain principles. You know, or, or, and there's, there's so many stories we could have used where we didn't use anything that didn't make sense to the principles that we were trying to put out there. So the first part of the book is about improving your process, the first three chapters. And it's, and it's just, again, the first place I look when there's a problem is, or I want to improve something, I look at the process. Is the right process in place? Does it need to be tweaked? You know, or is there not a process at all? And then this is all about how to you know, inspire uh, success through process. And then the second part of the book is empowering your people. So, you know, how do you, how do you build a high performance team? What do you do when the crisis occurs and, and how do people uh, achieve goals? And those are the things we talk about in part two. And then part three, we really get down to the cultural part. And it's, and it's all about how your culture uh, deals with, with things in, in a group and how people, you know, appreciate each other and respect each other and things like that. And so I would recommend that people start at the very beginning and work their way through. Now, my wife told me that for her, she says the book was hard for her to read quickly because there is so much in there to learn. And she said, I, 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 she was, I found myself going back and reading the same paragraph again because I wanted to get down what, what it was what I was supposed to be learning. And I would say, in a way we mixed a, a storytelling along with almost like a textbook where you're actually going to learn things in this book and there's, there's, there's processes that, that might take a little getting used to, but once you, once you use them, they all work. They've all worked for us and they've all worked for many other people that we've shared them with. But, uh, yeah, I think, that, um, I think you should start at the beginning and work your way through. Yeah, and you know, it it kind of mentioned you know the first paragraph in in, uh, in chapter when ordinary people responding to extraordinary situations. I'm just going to read it to you because it reads like an action novel. Um, it was good to be out of the basement, yet at the same time, I had unbelievable desire to go back in and do it all over again. I had overcome a fearful experience. Extremely grateful for the way things had turned out. I couldn't help thinking back on the moment when I lost sight of my dream. I mean, like. That's not the beginning of a business book. That's the beginning of an exciting thriller novel. Right. Now, that just reminds me, the person that told me this, they said the suspense that I had built up in that, in that part. And so he, this individual told me he thought the book was a page turner because he, he wanted to see how this is going to end up. What, what, what is this all about? How is it going to end up? And that was our hope, uh, uh, James Byrd and myself, when we, when we set out to write this, that we wanted a book that wasn't just you know, follow these four steps or whatever. We wanted to actually have something that uh, got people's attention through just through the eyes of a firefighter because that's where these things happen. Our, our, we call it our practical classroom where we actually realized, you know, how do, how, how, do, how do we get taught leadership and how do we take that same leadership and use it when we got, became leaders within the fire service and then we continued that on into our business careers. And so we didn't want to just have a, a list of things here and there. We wanted to actually tell real stories that actually happened and how they affected us and, and how they could present these principles in a way that uh, someone else told me. It helped them remember the principles by thinking about the story. You know, on the cover it says uh, how to build a class one corporate culture through inspirational leadership. Class one, isn't that a type of fire? Yes. There's an organization called the ISO, Insurance Services Office. It's a nonprofit that uh, rates fire departments in the United States. And in order, to, and, and the rating system works where class one is the best and class 10 is the worst or non-existent. 
And in Los Angeles, the LAFD is a class one fire department. And all the apparatus will say, you know, Los Angeles Fire Department, class one. And what it means is that there's certain spacing of the fire stations. First and engine companies is never going to be more than so many miles from any any location in the city. The second and engine is going to be never so many mi- more miles in a certain location. Um, truck companies, the ladder trucks, the, the 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 types of training, the type of apparatus that we utilized, all these things are requirements to be con- considered a class one department. Now in Los Angeles. They're a class one department because it's a big city, a big budget, and it costs a lot of money to be a class one. So it's not just all about the individual because there's there's some class three and four and five fire departments that have just as dedicated firefighters, but because of limited budgets, they're not going to have the response capability as a, a bigger department with a bigger budget. But what the class one refers to is that when I got on the fire department in Los Angeles, I came to realize that class one was an attitude that the individual firefighter had. We just knew we were better. We knew that we were better and we had to live up to that. And for instance, if I did a good job as a rookie, the captain might say, hey, Pandola, that's class one. And so it meant something to me and it meant something to the other firefighters. So when I say build a class one corporate culture, the definition of a class one culture to me is a, 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 a culture that is dedicated to being the best. And, and again, throughout the book, we have principles that lay out how leadership can make those things happen with some very basic things that you can do and infuse your organization to be able to say, hey, we're class one. Uh, for all our, our uh, listening audience, uh, what's one thing that they could do today to start uh, a fire under their business? One thing that they could do today to light a fire under their business. Um, I think the biggest thing would be, if they're going to do this one thing, if you're in a leadership position, sit down individually with each person that reports to you and ask them why they, ask them, you know, why they think their job is important and and once they come up with why their job is important, ask them who benefits when you are at your best. And the answers are going to be all over the place. But the bottom line is, if the person doesn't think their job is important, be prepared to tell them why it is important. And then also, when you're talking about who benefits, it doesn't really matter what their answer is as long as they believe that they can put a face on who benefits. A lot of people will say themselves or their family. They might say a coworker, a client, customers. You know, it doesn't really matter what they come up with, but that's how we develop an intrinsic value to what we do every day when we go to work. And I know this can be difficult for some jobs, you know, minimum wage jobs, things like that. But to explain to somebody that, you know what, if you think that this is a minimum wage job and it's not worthy of your best effort, then you're never going to get out of this minimum wage job. It takes inspirational leaders to help people see themselves better than they think they are. And by having this conversation of pointing out that your job's important and you wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't and why it's important for you to do, do the best that you can do every day is because it always matters to someone. Who is that someone? And I think just having that conversation can, can change attitudes. And then to add some of the other things that we've put into the book, into your culture, it just it lends itself to really cementing those things into your culture to where everybody thinks a little differently. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've been told by other people, and I believe it myself having worked in business, some of the stuff you read in the book is, are things that have been talked about in other leadership and cultural books. Some of the things are really a new perspective for, for business. And I even think that some of the things in the book, even firefighters take for granted. You know, they may even do it, but they, they don't even understand that, you know, what is it they're doing that's so special and how they perform their duties and things like that. And so anyway, 
Yeah, I think what you do is important and why you do it to the best of your ability. Those are the two most important things I think people could walk away with um, just as a, as a first, first hit in a, in, a, in a team or an organization. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if if you're a manager and, and you cannot explain to the person that you're interviewing or chatting with uh, key things that you think are important, then, you know, how do you expect them to respect you when you tell them to, like, I need you to hustle <laughs> and get this thing to happen? Right. You know, here, here's one thing that I found in business is people will tell you what to do, but they don't tell you why it's important to do it that way. And you know, sometimes people do, but what I found is, when mistakes keep getting made over and over again, it's because people have never been explained the why. And why is really important to learning the value of doing something. If we just think we're doing a report a certain way and send it off into the black hole and who cares, no one's going to get that thing in on time. No, one's, no one really cares about it. But when you explain what happens to that report once it leaves and who's using the information and what, why it's important to the organization and so on, all of a sudden it's got, it's got a whole new meaning. I can remember years ago, I was a young captain working at a very busy station in, in downtown Los Angeles. And I was doing a rookie performance evaluation at like 2 o'clock in the morning. We worked 24-hour shifts. Typically, we would go to bed at some point. But we were so busy, that was the first chance I got that day to actually do this evaluation. And the reason why I was motivated to do it before the shift was over was because my battalion chief told me a couple days earlier that this particular deputy chief who works downtown, who doesn't, doesn't know me, we had a 3,000 plus member fire department, he doesn't know me personally, but the battalion chief says to me, you know, Tom, chief so-and-so wants those reports in on time. And I remember thinking, I don't want to let the chief down. I want to make sure that, you know, when he sees my name, he knows that I get my stuff in on time. And so here's somebody who doesn't even know I exist, but I'm motivated to be able to make him happy because my battalion chief explained to me why those reports were important, why they needed to be on time. And I I did what I needed to do and stayed up all night to complete it. So I think that's the type of of motivation we're looking to inspire into people. Light a fire under your business, how to build a class one corporate culture through inspirational leadership. I've had Tom on the line again, Tom Pandola and James W. Bird are the writers of this amazing business book, and I highly recommend it. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Tom. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.